This is episode 108 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. For this episode, we'll be doing something a little different. We will be featuring a recording of a talk given by Angela B. from the Atheist Agnostics and All Others group in Boise, Idaho. Angela spoke at the Saturday Night Live speaker meeting in Boise and was kind enough to send me the recording of her talk. I thought it was an excellent presentation, so I asked her if I could post it as a podcast, and she agreed. Thank you very much, Angela. In her talk, Angela shares her story and takes us through all 12 steps as she experiences them as an atheist. This was perhaps one of the best talks that I've heard about how to work the steps as a secular person in AA. So here's Angela B. speaking at the Saturday Night Live Speakers Meeting in Boise, Idaho on December 28, 2018. Hi, I'm Angela. I'm alcoholic. Um, My sobriety date is 9-16-06. Um, I come from a long line of alcoholics, um, both parents, both their parents. Um, we like to joke that we're not English or Irish, we're alcoholic. And, um, you know, my, um, my dad was a Vietnam veteran, and, um, and he died of this disease 15 years ago. Um, you know, when my parents got together, they were very young, um, and uh, kind of the post-hippie types. Um, they uh, they met in a park drinking beer, um, super romantic, I know, and uh, and uh, they moved into a trailer down in Garden City, um, and you know they they didn't have money for furniture and stuff, so they brought a log in from down by the river, and uh, they had shag green carpet and they had wood paneling, so they liked to you know smoke some weed and get drunk and pretend that they were in the forest. And that's what that's what I was born into. Um, so that should explain most of me. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, they they divorced um, shortly before I turned two um, because my my dad's uh, flashbacks and drinking, um, you know, they didn't know it was PTSD back then. Um, and he really tried. He really tried to get sober for my mom, but. Um, but he couldn't do it, and she couldn't have uh, somebody who was having those flashbacks around a, a infant. Um, and so my mom um, raised me alone until um, the age of six, I believe. And um, then she met somebody, um, my stepfather, who became my stepfather, got married, and um, and went on to have a couple of more kids. You know, my mom didn't drink a lot um, during that time. She uh, she was working most of the time. My stepdad was bipolar, um, undiagnosed, and so we moved like nine times within, I think, five years. I went to um, seven different schools before the fifth grade. And then in um, uh, in the fifth grade, uh, he molested me. And um, when that happened, I didn't tell my mom right away because he told me that she would kill herself if I did. And she'd already been at the mental hospital at least once. And so I, I believed him. And so it wasn't until we did another move um, and, um, and something else happened that 
that I was able to talk to a neighbor friend, um, and their parents called the police, and, and so all of that came to light. And, and the reason this is important for my history is that um, that's when my mom realized that she had a problem as well, and that we needed to do something about this dysfunction in our family. And so she joined Al-Anon, and it was in Al-Anon that she determined that she was also an alcoholic. Um, and so I was in Alateen. And, um, and an Alateen speaker. <laughs> I used to embarrass my mom really bad because, and I didn't know, I didn't know I was doing it. I was just sharing my story. And that, in part of my story is that my mom had a butt head detector. If there was a butt head within, you know, 20, 20 feet away, um, she'd go out with him. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, this is to a room of alcoholics that she'd been dating. So, um, so yeah. It was, uh, you know, yeah. A few years later, she reminded me of that. And I, yeah, pretty funny. Um, but um, yeah, so I spent some time in Alateen, and um, and so I didn't become an alcoholic. Um, you know, uh, with the stuff from my stepdad, um, the way that my my mind handled that was um, to compulsively overeat. And so, you know, I didn't know it, you know, at the time, but um, I think my mind was trying to make me look. You know, if I was overweight, then people wouldn't be attracted to me, and that would never happen to me again. And um, and so I was. Um, um, obese for most of my teens and 20s, um, and then in my um, 20s, late 20s, I got gastric bypass surgery. You know, and, and I got it because, you know, I thought that all the problems that I, I was having at that time were because of how I looked, that if I lost weight, then I'd get a boyfriend, get a good job, you know, everything would work out. Um, and within three months of the surgery, um, people started noticing me, and um, and I started drinking <laughs> immediately. And I didn't do like beer or you know wine coolers or you know uh, uh, what is it, Kahlua and cream. You know I, I went straight for tequila. And I became a blackout drinker within a year. And I always blamed my parents for that. I was like, it usually takes people at least 10 years to get to this point. You know, it's definitely my parents' fault that I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And I don't even get to drink as long as everybody else before, you know, shit started happening. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, but I, I did sometimes have that feeling, you know, that it describes in the book that I had arrived. You know, I, I kind of got to be the cool kid for a while, you know, at least, you know, five minutes at a time before the drink wore off or before I blacked out. And, um, you know, I, 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 I recall towards, towards the end of that period, um, before I got sober, you know, um, some of the, the stuff that sucked that, uh, the worst was, uh, coming to at about two in the morning downtown and realizing I peed my pants. And, uh, and that everybody could see that, you know, cause it was just my pants. And, uh, and so they're all getting out of the bars and laughing at me. And, uh, and so I, I was near angels and their sprinklers were on. So I ran over to roll in the sprinklers, figuring it would be better if it looked like I passed out in the sprinklers than, you know, peed my pants. You know, and so, you know, I felt like if, if I could have outthought this thing, you know, I, I, I would have, um, cause that was one of the examples. Another one was, um, I found myself driving drunk and, uh, and I had a cousin who died from a drinking and driving accident. And so from, you know, a very young age, I was like, I'm never going to drive drunk, you know. And so then I'm, you know, going home with one eye, you know, that thing. And, and I'm like, okay, we can't do that anymore. So I started riding my bike to the bar. 
Um, and, uh, and then I lost my bike and, you know, woke up all bruised and stuff. So then I started walking, you know, it never occurred to me that maybe I should stop drinking, <laughs> you know, it was, it was transportation that was my problem. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, so yeah, so it went from there. Um, and, uh, until the point that, um, you know, I just couldn't stand who I was anymore. Um, and I, I was suicidally depressed. And so I, I was able to call a, a place, um, I called a suicide hotline first, and, uh, and they asked, you know, well, you know, do you have a plan? And I'm like, well, of course I have a plan. If I didn't have a plan, I'd just be really depressed, wouldn't I? And uh, they said, well, you know, you have to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital um, to be checked out, and um, that's when I called my mom and, and said to her, um, that I was an alcoholic because I hadn't admitted to her yet, and I I avoided her um, because you know I di I didn't want her to know, and um, and was pretty successful at that, and uh, and so I went to Franklin House at that time, and uh, they did like a, a two day you know detox type thing um, and stabilization, and um, and that's when I admitted that I was an alcoholic um, for the first time. And so, so I went to my first meeting. It was at the Glass House. Well, actually, I'd gone to a meeting about eight months earlier. I had I had looked online because I knew that I had a problem. Some some bad stuff was happening. Um, I was waking up in the ER, um, and uh, and yeah, not knowing what happened. And, uh, and so I, I looked it up online, and uh, one of the pamphlets is a newcomer asks, and, and in it it says that AA is for people of all shades of belief and non-belief. And I'm like, wow, they really progressed. You know, I, I can go because I'm, I'm atheist. And, uh, and uh, so I go to my first meeting, and they were godding all over the place. I mean, it, it, was, it was everywhere, I swear. I mean, they... You know, more than likely, it was they just read the steps and maybe some of the stuff in, you know, chapter five. But in my mind, it was just God, 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 God. And uh, so I had to go out, you know, uh, for a bit longer. And um, and so this time when I, I got to the glass house, um, you know, one of the things that I thought was was helpful, and I don't know that it is for everyone, but when they went around, they say their names um, and that they're alcoholic, and everybody does it. And it's like by the time it got to me and I said it, I'm Angela, I'm alcoholic, it just felt like, you know, like I had arrived, like these are my people, that's my truth, and this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, you know, but I, I was honest. I'm like, I really don't know how I'm going to do this because I'm atheist. And uh, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm here giving this a try because I'm poor and I can't go to rehab. And, uh, and you know, some of you seem to be able to stay sober, and, and you know, maybe I can I can do that as well. And, um, and so um, they gave me a 24-hour coin, and I still have that coin. It's in, it's in my wallet now. I, I carry it with my, my year coin. Um, and, uh, it, and it helped me, um, you know, the first uh, while I would um, put it in my pockets. I, I still do, you know, for going to concerts and things like that. I don't generally walk around afraid that I'm going to drink. Um, but sometimes, you know, just having it there or, you know, touching it reminds me of you guys, reminds me of, of who I am and, um, and I and a call it the people in my pocket you know it's my people in my pocket my AA um, and uh, and it's you know it helps me um, so uh, at that meeting um, two women gave me their their phone numbers um, and uh, one of them lived down the street from me 
Um, so I didn't want to call her because I knew she was spying on me now. And, uh, <laughs> and the, uh, the other one, um, she, she seemed nice and uh, nice enough. And what she said to me was, um, you know, uh, give me a call tomorrow and let me know how you're doing. And, and, you know, <laughs> and of course part of me is codependent. So I'm like, well, if she really needs me to, I guess I'll give her a call tomorrow. You know, I wouldn't want her to go out and drink. And, uh, and so, um, she kind of tricked me into being my temporary sponsor, you know, because I'd call up and she'd be like, how are things going? And I'm like, it sucks. And she says, well, go to a meeting and give me a call tomorrow. And, uh, and so I was doing that. And, um, and at that time, if you traveled around the country, you actually had to pay roaming fees if somebody called you or talked to you. And, uh, and I found out a little later that she had been out of town, like uh, in New York for some sort of thing. And, um, and she was letting me call and talk to her every day and just say stupid stuff. And I'm like, wow, you know, that, that's love right there, you know. And nobody would do that for me. And so um, she doing that helped me get to enough meetings that, um, that I found one that had... Um, had a woman in it who was Buddhist, and you know, and I'm not Buddhist, um, but um, she was able to help me translate some of the language um, so that it, so that I understood better, you know, so that it could work for me because um, because the language really um, was getting in the way for me, you know. I was still going to meetings and stuff, but uh, you know, people would say stuff like, you know, um, you know, I hit my knees in the morning in prayer, and I hit my knees at night, and, and I'd just be so pissed off. I'd be like, you know what? I came in here to learn to stop hitting my knees so much. Um, so I don't know what the hell you guys are doing. And, uh, and, and so, you know, as I went through the steps, she helped me understand, oh, okay, so they get up in the morning, and they remind themselves that they're not the center of the universe, and they make an intention to, you know, try to be helpful to other people throughout the day. I'm like, okay, I could do that. Why didn't they just say that? You know, um, but you know, I needed help with that. I, um, I also, in the first, uh, I, I think I was maybe 30 days sober, and I went to Woman to Woman, which is a a retreat um, around here uh, that brings together Al-Anon women and, and AA women. And um, and at this retreat, um, they were going to do a ceremony for ceremony for their closing ceremony that that um, is a Native American type of a, a thing, you know, where they call the four corners and then they they burn their um, fist up and, and things like that, you know. Um, and there was some big controversy around it. I mean, women were upset. You know, some of them were like, "This is this is horrible. I can't believe we're doing this." You know, because it went against their spiritual beliefs. And other ones were like, "Well, you know, this is part of my spiritual belief." And and so the last day of the the conference, you know, they they did that, and then they were talking about it and fighting at the end of the end of meeting. And so I got up and said, "You know what? It was really important to me that you guys did this um, because it showed to me in your actions that you truly mean." that any of us can get sober, that anyone of any belief can get sober in AA. And so, you know, because you did that, that's keeping me here even a, a little bit longer so that maybe I can get through these steps and find something that works for me. Um, so um, so I, I found a sponsor who started me on the steps, and I'll take you through kind of how I, I do them or I understand them. Some of it was how she took me through. Some of it is how um, my second sponsor I changed sponsors after um, three years um, just because I, I needed, you know, some different things. And um, 
And uh, I'm still, you know, friends with with my first sponsor. Um, but uh, most most of the time, when people find out that I'm atheist and that I've been sober for a while and I'm still atheist, <laughs> they want to know how how do you do the steps? And so, um, so yeah. So on the first step, um, you know, usually uh, what I do and what I did uh, was write on it. Um, and so I'm writing, usually um, reflecting on my experiences um, with alcohol. You know, like the first time I drank. Um, the first time I was drunk, the first time I had a problem, and um, what experiences brought me to the rooms. Um, and so in doing that, for me, I learned that alcohol wasn't my, my problem, that I was my problem, and that alcohol was my most recent solution. Um, you know, before that, it was food. Um, sometimes people, you know, get sober and, and they change their solution to religion or gambling or, you know, sex or love. And, you know, I never made it to material wealth. I, you know, sometimes wish that I had. That would have been a nice one to, you know, to have a solution for for a while. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this was just one of those. And, um, and that was, you know, helpful for me to understand that um, because my drinking career wasn't actually that long. It was serious. <laughs> but it wasn't long. Um, but my my use, um, my addiction is, you know. Um, and if I hadn't uh, got an AA and started working the steps, I, I don't know that um, that you know I'd even be here today because I would have found something else. Um, and so step two was one that you know was a little concerning at first. Um, uh, but uh, what what it helped me is um, I think of it as coming to recognize that there are resources available to help me with my life problem. Um, they that can help me make better decisions. And uh, and my first sponsor didn't have me read the book at all. You know, it wasn't part of how she sponsored. Um, but I read the book anyway because I'm the type of person that read the Bible just to argue with people about it. And so you know I wanted to do the same thing with the big book. And uh, and so. So, you know, I, I knew what it said, and uh, um, but she didn't have me do that. My second sponsor had me do an exercise that was really helpful of reading We Agnostics, which my friend Owen, um, I love him, he, he says it, it's called We Agnostics. It's not We Hate Agnostics or Don't Be an Agnostic. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, because it's not my favorite in, in the big book. Um, but reading it, she had me go through and um, and write out or, or underline. I'm not a big underliner, so I, I write them in journals. But um, all the different names that are used for higher power in that chapter. Um, so stuff like um, the broad highway um, and the great reality of infinite power and love. Um, you know, and so that reminds me that they're, you know, they use a lot of different terms in there. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's helpful. Um, and so I have people do that because a lot of the people that I sponsor, you know, are like me. And they come in and they're often really pissed off at AA, you know, at religion, at whatever. And so by um, looking at that chapter and looking for the, the similarities or for the diversity in it um, helps them to be able to, to feel a little bit closer to the program and like maybe they can fit in. Um, and then um, we usually write um, a list of things that help, you know, help us stay calm. So for me, it's like spending time with animals. Um, I was really into those um, adult coloring books way before it was cool. That's the hipster in me. Yeah, I was so into that. And I was into that because I was in the mental hospital, and that's what they had us do back then. Um, but, uh, but it sounds a lot better saying, yeah, I was, I was into it before it was cool. Um, and, uh, you know, or going for a walk and talking to a friend 
and that kind of thing. So um, step three um, was, was, of course, difficult. Um, when I first looked at it, um, you know, I wanted to come up with a, a higher power that, uh, that beat out all the other ones, you know, like, um, I don't know, Buddha beats out Jesus or, you know, whatever. I, it's like a hierarchy of higher powers. And, um, and the Hindu tradition has um, a goddess called Kalima, and she's, uh, she's this, this fierce goddess of destruction, and she's always featured stepping on Vishnu with her, her foot on his head, and, uh, and she wears a, a necklace of severed men's heads. And I'm like, you know, if I could believe in anything, that would definitely be my goddess, you know? Um, but, but the truth is that that didn't work for me either, um, you know? And so, so, you know, how I think of step three is, um, is for right-sizing me um, and to, to remember possibilities. And, um, and one of the things that, um, that my second sponsor had me do was write out the third step prayer in an affirmation that works better for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm oppositionally defiant as well, as most of us are. And so I have to write things in a way that gives me options. And so, um, so I think I wrote out, uh, since I'm not the center of the universe, perhaps I could look for ways to be of service or to show kindness to others today. And, uh, and so that's, that's what, you know, I worked on for a while. Um, nowadays, um, if I'm, I'm, you know, circling on something and, and, uh, you know, people suggest the, the third step prayer for, for that, um, I, I just kind of let a different part of my mind work on it. Um, because I, I really have a great respect for the human brain, for the human organism, for that matter. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know about, you know, or understand about this, this organism and this thing called Angela. And so maybe a different part of me can work on it for a while and, and something will come up. And, um, and it often does. And sometimes it's just because I've been in so many AA meetings that something that I, I may have heard a long time ago and stored away somewhere comes up, a solution that somebody else had to whatever the problem is I'm thinking of. Um, so that's that's what works for me with step three. Um, step four, I remember I, I spent a lot of time trying to get the right notebook. You know, because it's it's important. You know, that's that's what the step's about, right? You know, uh, making columns and uh, you know and uh, and <laughs> and I I made columns um, on every page of the book. Um, about three-fourths of the way through. So I think like the last ten pages did not have columns. But that's how much I thought I was going to need is the entire notebook except the last ten pages because I wasn't that bad. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I did all that, and, um, and I, was, I was sure that, you know, that I was going to have more character defects than most people um, because I was either better than or less than, and, and um, in character defects, I thought it would be better to be, you know, have more than everybody else. You know, I, I thought if there was like a, a periodic table of character defects, there'd be angelinium. And, uh, and uh, you know, what I found was, you know, not so much. Um, but I, I wrote things down, um, and I, uh, when I got stuck, I'd do things like I'd, I'd turn the page upside down, or I'd write sideways, or with my other hand, and um, and I found that helped me get through them and get things down. So um, on step five, I was learning uh, with that uh, to take responsibility for. Uh, 
for the stuff that was actually mine, uh, not for things that weren't. And, you know, in just writing things down, doing inventory on, on, you know, step four, if I hadn't shared that with somebody, there's a lot of stuff that I would have taken responsibility for that wasn't mine, or um, I'd be re- taking responsibility for the, the wrong things. Um, one of the experiences I've had in, in AA is uh, women coming to me who've uh, relapsed, that um, part of their, their story in that is that they got to the fourth step and they were sharing it with a woman and they were sharing um, part of the their history and it usually has abuse or rape or some incest, something of that sort, and that um, the woman would say, you know, ask them what their part was, you know, or they would um, they would tell them what their part was and that it would have to do something with clothing and such. And uh, and so that's, you know, that's where it's it can be really difficult. Um, you know, if, if you if you're sponsoring somebody and they go through that, it's very highly advised to to have them seek out extra help. You know, it talks about that in the book that we seek out professionals to help with that. Um, and, uh, and, and that's my main recommendation for that and, um, and for them to work in that way, um, until, you know, they can come to, to a point of like for me, um, the way I worked through it was that I found that my part, um, I had nothing to do with, you know, what happened to me. I was not to blame. I was a child. Um, but how it affects me now is that sometimes I will disassociate or, you know, you know, blank out when my partner is trying to talk to me about something difficult because I'm scared. And so what I need to do is, you know, be honest and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling scared right now. Um, can we talk about this later or can we sit side by side instead of, you know, you right in front of me or, you know, um, and so that's, you know, that was what my part was is that I was using a tool I, I needed um, back then to survive in the, an inappropriate way as an adult. And so that's what I took responsibility for was how I was using it inappropriately as an adult. Nothing to do with what actually happened to me. Um, and, and that was that was pretty important to me um, because when it got to um, to six and seven, um, that was kind of what helped me feel a, a sense of relief and grace um, was that you know one part of my brain was saying, "Hey, it's okay, it wasn't your fault and uh, and you did you know you did the work on this, and now you have some choices. Um, so yeah, so for um, for six and seven, I like um, there's another guide that I read um, that talks about six and it phrases it as uh, be entirely ready to acknowledge our abiding strength and release our personal shortcomings, and that the principle is the willingness to change. Um, and I found that to that to be true. So you know, I, I listed the defects or shortcomings, whichever one you want to say, and um, and I had to write down how it had been useful to me. Um, you know, like this defect has been useful to me because and so like judgment you know um i don't i don't pray for judgment to be removed from me you know or being judgmental or anything like that um what i understand of judgment is that it helps me not to get hit by a car you know and so it'd really suck to you know be praying for you know judgment to be removed from me um and then walk out in front of a car i'd be i'd be pretty upset about that um, but what I need to do is not use it in an in- inappropriate way. You know, I need to use it for the right thing. Like, you know, the wrong thing is negative comparison. So, um, so what can I do instead? 
you know, what other ways can I take care of a need if I'm feeling judgmental? You know, something's going on, and so I need to look at that. And so I would go through all of all of my um, shortcomings and uh, and get perspective on them. You know, learn how to use the tool in the appropriate way or choose a better one. Um, another example is um, that came up on my my inventory was manipulation. You know, I'm I'm very manipulative, and I have been. Um, and the the it was useful to me because um, you know it it helps me creative problem-solving skills, you know? Um, how can I make this person do what I want, you know? So it, it's been helpful. It helped me survive all these years. Um, but there are other options, like learning to accept others um, in situations as they are. You know, I'm still working on that, particularly on Facebook. And, uh, you know, procrastination. Um, you know, procrastination gives me time to think through ideas, you know. Um, you know, but another way to do it is, is you know, the pause. It, it sounds better when you say I'm pausing when agitated or doubtful. Um, you know, um, so, so those are some of the things that, that I learned in doing six and seven was, you know, what are, what are these different things? Where did they come? from? How did I learn them? Usually as a child, it was something I used or learned in order to survive um, my childhood. And uh, and that, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to use that tool in that way, that I have options. Um, one of the, the things I worked on with my first sponsor um, was uh, learning to say no. Um, and, uh, and that sounds, you know, like, you know, well, everybody can do that, right? Um, but in my family, if someone asked you to do something, you know, um, you had to do it because they they usually did something for you at some other time and they then you owed them for the rest of your life. And so, you know, I'd, I'd say yes to something my mom would ask me to do, but then I'd be pissed at her and, you know, grouchy. Um, because I'm doing what she asked me to do when I really didn't want to do it, you know, so then I have a resentment and then I have to write on that and, you know, the whole thing. And so, um, but I didn't know how to get out of that. That's how I learned to, how I learned to relate and function. And, uh, my sponsor said, well, you can, you can say some other things besides yes and no. You can say, Hey, um, can I get back to you on that? You know, or, um, I'll have to think about that and let you know, you know, there's, there's some options. It was, it was amazing. And, uh, um, and so then we went on to eight. So eight, um, I generally look over the fourth step um, as my starting point, you know, and, and see what do I need to do to make amends. Um, sometimes I need to talk to the person. Sometimes it's write a letter. Sometimes a lot of it was make payments. And uh, and sometimes uh, making amends is actually just setting or clarifying a boundary. You know, as, I, as I've mentioned, my family didn't really have boundaries. And, um, and I had to learn how to do that, um, you know, at... Something uh, that uh, that I heard in Al-Anon, um, you know, that um, oh, I forgot what it was now. Anyway, <laughs> something like if it's important, it can wait, and if it's it can't wait, it's not important. Um, you know, some of those kinds of things. And um, my mom, I when I was doing this work and actually practicing it, which is the tough part when you're going through the steps, actually doing the stuff when situations come up. Um, my mom called me because my sister had gotten out of the state hospital south and had been staying with her and brought some guy that she <laughs> met there and they were sleeping on my mom's couch and uh, you know because that's what you do and it's normal right um, and so she was calling to complain to me about it that you know these two are sleeping on my couch and I don't even know who this guy is and they're not getting a job and they're not helping do things do things around the house they're not contributing and and so you know I I said well I guess when you're tired of that you'll kick them out 
And uh, <laughs> and with that, she was she was not happy with my response. She was like, "Are you doing Al-Anon on me?" And I'm like, "Well, maybe." Um, and uh, and so now our relationship is different. You know, now she knows that you know it's probably not a good idea to call me to complain about that stuff. You know, um, and so on nine when I actually went to do the things, you know, again it, it was important to write out what I thought I would need to do for an amends and go over that with my sponsor because sometimes what I wanted to do would not be helpful to that person. Um, you know, sometimes when I wanted to do it wasn't helpful. I wanted to do it right away in order to relieve myself of the feeling of guilt or, you know, or, or just get that release. And sometimes it wasn't the appropriate time. So, you know, it was really important for me to, to run that stuff by my sponsor, what I intended to do and, and what my intentions were behind making this amends. In, uh, in 10, that's where, you know, I, I learned you know, to pause. <laughs> I had to, with my first sponsor, we practiced that um, that I couldn't quit my job without calling her um, because I, I had a tendency, you know, at that time to, somebody would send me an email saying, you know, do you know where such and such file is? And I'd read that as they think that I lost the file, you know, they think that I'm stupid, you know, they can't treat me that way, I'm out of here, you know, when often it was just like, do you know where this file is? <laughs> you know, so, uh, so yeah, so I had to call her first and run it by her, you know, before I quit my job, uh, so she could remind me that, yeah, maybe they just want to know where the file is, Angela. Um, you know, um, and, uh, and I found that it, it's helpful in, um, um, it's helped me. It may be the biggest thing that's helped me in being a, um, a pseudo step parent. Um, I've been with my sweetie for seven years now, and um, and you know, if anybody wants to learn about powerlessness, become a step parent. And um, and uh, and so you know, not being a breeder myself, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of power. And the kids were really loud, even when they were quiet, they were loud. You know, it's like they're just sitting in their room by the themselves, you know, you know, reading a book or doing something, and I'm like, they're so loud. Um, and so I, I had to learn, you know, uh, or I got to use the tool that I'd learned in AA, you know, thank goodness I had five years sober by that time. Um, you know, there's a reason why I didn't have a relationship before that. That, uh, that, yeah, you know, I needed to pause, you know, they may say something or do something or, you know, their, their behavior or action may trigger something in me, and it usually had to do with me, you know, and so by pausing and not saying what I thought, you know, um, then um, I've been able to maintain an awesome relationship with these girls that are now um, 17 and 15. And that's, you know, saying a lot for anybody who deals with teenagers <laughs> to have a good relationship with them at that age. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, 10, I think, was what helped me with that. I, I learned to pause, and I learned that when I did say stuff um, that was hurtful, to take care of it right away, that the longer you wait, um, the worse it can be. And so, yeah, so, so 10, you know, is, is doing that. That, you know, and again, you know, what I mentioned earlier of, you know, trying to get up in the morning and remember I'm not the center of the universe and that, you know, perhaps I could, you know, be of service to other people today and to be intentional in doing that. So um, with uh, step 11, you know, what I consider with that one is um, I call I consider it a learning step that I'm, I'm going to con continue learning. I'm learning new tools to stay sober. I'm learning new things to, to better myself. You know, since I've been sober, I started baking, you know, food. <laughs> um, and I got to clarify that. Uh, I said that and somebody's like, all right. I'm like, no, no, sorry. Wrong. Yeah, no. Like, um, 
Yeah, um, cookies and shit. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom was a terrible cook. That's one of the reasons why I'm vegetarian is she couldn't cook meat, and so I never developed a taste for it. And so it tastes weird to me, the texture and stuff. But, yeah, you know, she baked cookies one time, and we could throw them at each other. You know, she's like, don't throw the cookie at her. You're going to poke her eye out. Um, and so I, you know, so I started uh, watching YouTube, and, uh, and now I, I'm awesome at baking cookies, you know. I, I, I make really cool um, decorative cookies, and, um, and it's very meditative for me. You know, it's, it's an act of meditation. Like, when I'm doing it, I'm, like, in the zone, and it's, um, it's uh, you know, very healing for me. You know, I, uh, right now I'm learning about uh, trauma in the body, you know, how it stays in the body, and that, you know, I've done all this work, and it cognitively, you know, I can manage, like, you know, I can pass for a mature adult most of the time, but that there are some physical things that are happening with me that are likely, you know, due to the trauma that I suffered that, you know, needs to be worked out physically, you know, somatically is, is what they call it. So I'm I'm learning about um, Mia, like a dance thing that's like, like uh, Aikido and yoga and dance all at the same time. It's extremely awkward, um, but it feels really good. And, um, and so that's um, something that I, I, you know, put in there for step 11 is that um, is doing uh, things like that, continuing to, to learn. And then um, 12. And 12, of course, is being of service. Um, and that it's a, it, to me, is the key to my emotional balance, you know, or whatever looks almost like balance. You know, it, it helps me strengthen my connection with with myself, with AA, with other alcoholics. My first sponsee, um, I had a little over a year, and I was terrified. <laughs> and um, and I just had lunch with her. She was in town. Um, she had moved to... Um, Pennsylvania. She's in a doctorate program of some sort, and um, and so we were having having lunch and going to a meeting, and and she's like, "How many years do you have now?" And and I told her, and she's like, "Well, you that's only like one year more than me. I thought you had more than that when we started." And I'm like, "No, I was terrified. Um, I, I did not want to break you." Um, and uh, and she's like, "Well, the the biggest thing I remember is that at my first meeting, I had one of those meeting schedules, and you went through and you circled all the meetings with." good snacks for me and uh, and uh, <laughs> that's right I forgot that I used to do that because you know I, when I got to AA I was I had no money I was broke you know I um, I could barely keep a job as you have heard um, because of my attitude you know and sometimes I didn't have a car that ran you know all of that stuff and so going to meetings with snacks was really really helpful um, so I do that for people um, when um, yeah back then so that that made me laugh you know I think that I've done has started my home group. Um, my home group is on Tuesdays. It's uh, Atheists, Agnostics, and All Others. And it was started almost, uh, it'll be 11 years ago next week. And uh, and I started it with uh, four other people. Um, and the name we got, because I'm atheist, and there was an agnostic, and then there were a couple of others, uh, one Buddhist and one deist, which I didn't even know what a deist was, but it's apparently somebody who believes in God but just believes that they don't care. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, weird. Um, but, yeah, you know, whatever works for you. Um, but we started that group. I wanted, you know, to to make a group. We'd heard that there were other ones uh, like in New York and San Francisco um, that were were secular, um, which means, uh, don't, you know, just basically without religion, which is what I think AA is supposed to be, but um, you know, uh, the Lord's Prayer is really difficult for a lot of people for a variety of reasons, and so we wanted to make a meeting where, where 
that wasn't going to be a problem and that people of all religions or lack thereof could come to. And that's what our meetings turned into, which is amazing. Um, you know, um, I wouldn't say half, but quite a few of the people in my home group are people who have been in the program for a long time that, um, that do have a higher power that they refer to as God. And, uh, and they just love our group because of the, the feeling they get from it. And, you know, that we talk about things in a slightly different way because, you know, some people need that when they get here. They need to, to be around people who can talk in, about sobriety without using the, the God language in order to, to help them, you know, build their their translator, their AA to secular translator. And uh, and once they have that, then they can go to meetings and they can hear what people have to say. You know, there's someone that uh, that uh, has been part of our, our meeting and he's in and out of town and, and he couldn't make our meeting for a while, but he was still in, in Boise. And so I said, I go to a couple of other regular meetings with him, you know, and that I liked because I, I go to regular meetings as well. And he, and then we debrief afterwards, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, and I'm like, like, so what did you get from that meeting? And, and he's like, nothing. They just, you know, said that they let go and let God. And uh, and I said, well, you know, you need to listen for the action, you know. You know, in their mind, that's what they did. They let go and let God. But if you'd listen to the lady, she also said that she let go and let God, or she, she prayed to turn it over to God, and then she went for a walk. <laughs> and then she, she called her sponsor and wrote some inventory. And I'm like, so, you know, the action is usually there. You know, whatever they attribute to, you know, what helped them, you know, listen for the action because, you know, that's what we have in common. We all do the same things, you know. Um, we just sometimes phrase them in different ways. And so, you know, coming to our group, people are able to do that easier now. And so they're able to go to other groups. And sometimes they develop a higher power um, that is, you know, a, a deity or a supernatural thing or, or whatever. Um, and, and that's awesome, too. You know, this, this program works regardless of that, um, you know. The person that I've sponsored um, continually the longest is... Is LDS, um, you know, and she's still LDS. <laughs> and uh, you know, um, one of the ways that she writes her inventory is she has a column that ha that reads, "What would God have me do?" And you know that I did not tell her to write that column like that, you know. Um, and, but that's what helps her, you know. And so that's what she does, and we go through it that way. And I use language that is useful to her. And um, and I could only do that um, because of of AA as a whole, because of the community, because of the structure and, um, you know, and um, in Boise AA in general. Um, I, I've been going to a couple of conferences uh, for secular um, people in AA, and I'm always surprised at, at how much pain and hurt some of these people have. Um, in other areas, um, groups like mine are, are being delisted. There are people that decide that, you know, if they don't use um, God language, then they're not AA. And it's really sad. And so these people are, are often struggling with whether they even want want to be a part of AA. And so we get together and we talk about things and, um, and you know, and I, you know, share with them that that's not the way it is in, in Boise. That, that's not been my experience, you know. People were very supportive of me starting this meeting. You know, the other people I started it with were 19 years, uh, had 19 years more sobriety than me, 22 years, and I think 30 years, <laughs> you know. So I was like, some people thought it was like, oh, this little, you know, one-year-old, you know, starting her own AA, you know, see how that goes. But really, you know, it's some old timers that, you know, wanted something different. And then the people that um, at other meetings who I think were probably just glad that, you know, I had a place to go to to talk about being atheist so they didn't have to hear it. <laughs> but, um, but they were very
very supportive of me, and um, and they're very supportive of anybody who's struggling and would rather you know them have a meeting like ours or be able to send them to somebody or talk to somebody like me um, rather than go out simply because they struggle um, with a higher power concept. And and so I'm very grateful for that. You know, I, I don't know if I would have stick ar- stuck around if I hadn't had the type of people that we have in, in Treasure Valley AA. You know, if those women hadn't um, done that ceremony up at, at Woman to Woman. You know, at that time, there was a, wo- a woman going around there calling me Andrea. Um, she was like, oh, newcomer Andrea. And that's how she was introducing me to other people. And I never bothered to correct her because, you know, I was I was still in my first 30 days and was just like, what the fuck? It doesn't matter. And, uh, and uh, when she learned that, she's like, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's not like, you know, I'm in my right mind in the first 30 days. Um, but, yeah, you know, people... You know, like those women who who did that, um, even though that they were fighting with each other, you know, um, that's that's one of the things is we do that, you know, in AA. That's what people do in families. You know, sometimes they fight with each other, um, but we have a community and we love each other. And it's more important to the majority of people in, in Boise AA um, that somebody stays sober than what they call their higher power. And, and I'm super grateful for that. So that's what I have tonight. Thank you. Well, that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you so much, Angela, once again, for sharing your story with us. I thought it was great. And thank you, everybody, for listening and supporting the podcast. Once again, it's much appreciated.